<clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 12, I'm going to remind you as you leave this morning, grab this uh, prophetic observer. It's on the table back there. And uh, I already have the men that's going to help us just for a couple of minutes afterwards to move a, a table. I appreciate those the fellows who will do that for us. <clears throat> We've been looking at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means the second law or second giving of the law, repeat of the law to the new generation about to enter the land. And, you know, on, on one hand, I've been amazed in, in studying this and preparing the, uh, the lesson for each Sunday. And uh, on one hand, there's encouragement from Moses. On the other hand, there's a tremendous doses, if you will, of reality of the way things were with the children of Israel about to enter the land. They were the they were younger, the younger generation uh, when they went into the desert out of Egypt. And uh, they, in a sense, had gotten rid of some of the things that might have been leftovers from Egypt. They saw God bless them in the wilderness. Um, they had learned things before they had been slaves. So they had limited knowledge of how to get along and how to survive in the wilderness, and how to be tough, and now they were hardened, ready to take the land. But Moses is very, very realistic in terms of the sin that was within these people that they're going to carry into the land. As they, as they take Canaan and go into the land of Canaan. So on one hand, uh, as you read these verses, this is not jump up and down and all, uh, all good and uh, sugar cane and uh, uh, ice cream and cookies. This is, this is heavy stuff. Heavy warnings to this generation that's about to enter the land. Let's look at chapter 12, verse 28. Warning, warning, warning. Reminder, reminder, reminder. Be careful to listen to all these words which I command you in order that it may be well with you. Look at that. It be well with you and your sons after you forever. For you will be doing what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. If you obey the commandments, this is what is good and right. It's good and it's right. This is what you need to do. How do you tell people who are wayward? How do you tell people who are are sinful. Look, if you if you do what God says, it's going to be right. It's going to be good. What is what what, what do people say? Nah, I want my way. I want to do it my way. I'm not interested in what God has to say. He um, goes on, verse thirty. Beware that you are not ensnared to follow them. Uh, wait, I need to go back to, to verse twenty nine. When the Lord your God uh, cuts off before you the nations which you're going in to dispossess, that is the nations that are in the land that they're about to take, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, beware that you are not ensnared to follow those nations, if you will, after they are destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods that I may also do likewise? I don't know if you've noticed and I have to be careful because I, I don't have this for, for for absolute fact, but I think many people in America are rightfully fearful 
of the heresy of Islam. But I also get the sense, just a little sense that there are people in America that are enamored with Islam. Oh, this is nice religion. It's, it's, it's very, very much like Christianity. And after all, just another, another, another view, another belief system. It's an evil system. It is an evil system. <clears throat> Verse 31. You shall not behave thus toward the Lord your God for every abominable act which the Lord hates. They have done. These nations, the Canaanites, the Philistines who are in the land, they have done for their gods for they even burned their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. They... They kill their own children. They offer their own children uh, on the altar. The fires to Moloch and uh, the, the, the gods of the Canaanites. Can you believe it that these people are that evil? Can you believe that God warns them and says, don't do that? You mean he has to warn them not to burn their children? Which they will do later? Which some will do later? Can you believe that a people could walk that far off from God and repudiate God and turn against God? Can you believe that in America we can see what we're seeing now in comparing to, with, with the way uh, the, this nation used to be, if you will? Can you believe that people can turn and shift and go the way of pagans when they had all the blessings that God gave to this thing. Do you realize what God did to America? God isolated America. God isolated this country, this continent, the oceans on both sides, protected us, gave us a protection that went a long way that other nations did not have, that our peoples did not have. He helped us coast a long way in which there was goodness and there was, there was faith and there was a certain respect. It does not mean that everybody in America were Christians by any means. But there was a certain respect toward the Bible and toward Christianity. A certain understanding even, even by the laws, a certain understanding of, 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 of God. Look at verse 32. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to nor take away from it. What I say, that's what I mean. And you're not to, to deviate. You're not to deviate from what I give to you. You're not to, on your own, pick and choose what you want to accept from me and what you want to reject from me. What I give you, this is what you will do. God is tough. Because truth is hard. Truth is sharp. You, you touch truth and it'll cut you. It is sharp. It, 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 it's, it's, it's strong. It's forceful. You can't bend truth. You can't play games with truth. It's either truth or not. It's either right or it's wrong. It's either from God's wisdom or it's not. It will work for the human family or it will not. There's no in-betweens. Truth is truth. Right is right. It comes from God. He is the truthful God. And you and I don't have the right to pick and choose what we want to accept or reject. What God tells us, this is what we must do. 
Uh, without that, we will fail. and We will walk away from what he has, has given us. Well, look at verse 1 of chapter 13. He's going to get to this issue of, of prophets who speak speak uh, the truth. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known, let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter how truthful it seems. If it is false, it is false. It is wrong. You will not go after that. You shall follow the Lord your God. I have six points, seven points, marked down in verses 4 and 5. Let's look at the different points. Let's look at the imperatives, the commands. Number one, you shall follow the Lord your God. That's number one. Number two, you shall fear Him. Number three, you shall keep His commandments. Number four, you shall listen to His voice. Number five, you shall serve Him. Number six, you shall cling to Him. And then number seven is the last part, point of, of verse five. So you shall purge the evil from among you. You shall purge the evil from among you. You shall not allow the evil to be among you in your midst. Now let's read all of verse 5. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So, number 7, you shall purge the evil from among you. You shall purge the evil from you. Seven commands in these two verses. These are what you are to do. Now, we're not a theocracy. We, we, we cannot go around killing people who hold to other religions. That's where, that's where my illustration or my, or my uh, uh, application uh, fails us because uh, while there's truth here, we're not a theocracy. America's not a theocracy. We can't, we can't stone people for this or that. We'd like to maybe, but we can't do it. The gospel is giving forth the truth, uh, and that's 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 the business that we are to be about—to give forth the truth, not to not to hold back, not to flinch, uh, not to be reticent about the, uh, giving what is right, giving what the Bible has to say. And we are so blessed above all other nations in the world. We have been able to speak the truth and speak the gospel freely. I was talking this morning about some things of the past, and many of you in this room can remember the day when the Gideons would come into your school, not just stand at the corner, which they can do today, stand at the corner and pass out a Bible. They would come into the school. They would have all the kids. I, I, would, I lined up in grade school. My whole, the whole uh, grade school went up on the stage and the Gideons passed out a, a small Bible to everybody, every kid in the, in the, in the school. Do you try that today? Try that today. Has America not changed? Have we not shifted? And the answer is, well, we're now a multicultural nation. That's not, that, that, that we've lost something then. We've, we've, we've lost something. We cannot share the gospel as we did in the past. Share the truth. Pass out a Bible. And by the way, everyone accepted that. The school accepted that. The parents accepted that. 
The parents were glad to see a little junior come home uh, with a Gideon Bible. My mom was thrilled to death. I came home with this Gideon Bible sticking up in my, in my shirt pocket. She was thrilled to death. I had a good Christian family, went to good church. But still, that someone in grade school would hand me a Bible. I thrilled my mom to death. Uh, now it's gone. It's gone. And by the way, one of my closest friends was a little Jewish boy, Jerry Cohen. And uh, by the way, his parents, or grandparents, were priests at some point in the past. The word Cohen means priest in Hebrew. Jerry Cohen. And Jerry stood beside me as we both walked up on the stage and got the New Testament Bible. And I'm sure he got home and his mother may have traced it. But she made no complaint. His parents made no complaint. Uh, they understood that they were in a Christian society. I think that they were glad that Jerry Cohen could hear some things about Christ at Christmas time and at Easter time. Uh, he came to a Bible study at my home for a time. I don't think he went came to all the classes at all the time, but he came for a period of time. He was my closest friend, my, my buddy. And his parents understood that he was in a Christian society. And it was okay. The Jews had been treated well in America more than any other nation in the world because of good, solid, biblical Christianity. And I think his parents knew that. They understood that. All right, look at verse 6. If your brother, your mother's son, or your son or daughter, or the wife you cherish, or your friend who is in your own soul, and who is as your own soul, entice you secretly, saying, let's go and serve other gods, whom neither you nor your fathers have known, of the gods of the peoples who are around you, near you or far from you, from one end of the earth to the other end. Look at the, look at the exaggeration in verse 7. <laughs> Moses says, as far as you want to go on the earth, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You shall not yield to him or listen to him, and your eyes shall not pity him, nor shall you spare or conceal him. You shall surely kill him, your own relatives. Your own relatives? Wow. Mercy. Now would you come home and take your child or your wife and say, all right, step outside, we'll stone you to death. I'm sure that implied in these verses is the fact that you would share, you would tell, you would plead, you would pray for, you would you would try to make known, make sure that they understood the truth before you stoned them to death or whatever. That's heavy. But look, why is this why is this so heavy? Why is it how can that be that if your relatives uh, say let's go after the pagan gods and you're, you're just stoned why how could that be God don't you have any kind of sympathy don't you no God doesn't <laughs> you read that he says no there's no sympathy let me tell you why because sin is the heaviest quality in this world there's nothing heavier or stronger Apart from God and His Spirit, then sin, what sin can do, what going after the other gods can do to a culture, to follow after the... It is so... Sin is so heavy and rebellion against God to go after false gods is so heavy. Sin is so 
It's so strong. It can take it can take a family and bend it. It can take a community and destroy it. It can take a nation and destroy it. And how much better that your son die or your relatives die, die, so that this evil would not overtake the entire culture and destroy the entire people, all the people. You see, sin is so, so seductive. It is so strong. It can get a hold of people. It can get a hold of an individual. And then like a germ, it can be spread to one after the other. One family after the other. This is heavy stuff. So is sin. Sin is so tenacious. Sin is so strong. You all look pretty serious out there. You should look serious. This is serious stuff. This is not light fair. This is heavy. This is heavy issue. If they entice you even secretly, look, come on. Uh, you know, it's Saturday night. Let's go out. Let's go up to the hillside where the where the Canaanites are. You know, they're going to dance around these poles and have these fires. And let's go watch. They entice you secretly. Let's go up and while well, we can even join them and serve serve their gods. Verse six. We can serve their gods of the gods of the people who are around you, near and far, even if those gods are at the end of the earth, the other end of the earth. Talking about exaggeration for Moses, he said, look, I want to tell you something, folks. This is big stuff. You're not to follow the gods of the Canaanites. And if you're enticed, then they shall die. Look at verse 8. You shall not yield to him or listen to him, and your eye not pity him, nor shall you spare or conceal him. You shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death. Your own relatives, maybe your son or your wife, you're the first one to, to throw the rock at them. Now, how many times did this happen, probably among the Israelites when they got in the land? Probably not many times. Well, this didn't happen very often. This was not an everyday affair. This didn't happen all the time. But what's this doing? What is this, What are these passages of Scripture doing? It's making these people go, Whoa, is God not serious about this? Whoa, is God not angry over the gods of the Canaanites? Is God not determined to wipe out any religion that would take us away from Him? Anything that would cause us to, to be taken away from Him? Because watch, watch this. Once, once a people begin to move away from God, then you're going to have an explosion of sin. Not only of, of the people in the land, your own people worshiping these gods, but then sin is going to be multiplied. Evil is going to be compounded. And the people will be destroyed. The whole nation will be destroyed. The whole nation will be weakened. The whole nation will be so weakened that, guess what? The sin of the Canaanites will multiply and increase and overtake you and destroy you. It's like, it's like homosexuality. It's like Islam. Well, if we just tolerate it a little, it will take over. 
it will destroy a people. It will cause a whole people to, to turn from their God. It, it will cause them to, to, to walk away from truth. It will cause them to become sinners and start sinning against each other. You know, sin is not just isolated. Uh, the people who are sinners really, I mean, deep, deep into sin. They're not standing there by themselves sinning. They're touching someone else and touching somebody else who affects somebody else. Sin is multiplied. Sin is like a disease, like a germ. It goes from person to person, family to family, nation to nation. And God is giving a way of protection, though it's very hard. Can you imagine the Israelites hearing Moses talk about this? I can see the beads of sweat. I'm to take my son out and kill him? This is... God is angry against anyone who would worship these gods who would lead our people astray and cause them to fall deeper and deeper into sin and to turn from God. It's not just turning from God. Well, that's, that's, that's big, and, that's, and that's, that is, uh, that's the essence of what he's talking about. But still, to turn from God will mean what? The multiplication of the sin in the nation. Because it will destroy people. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your neighbors. If you allow the people to say, we want to go worship the gods of the Canaanites. We want to join hands with them. Look at verse 9 again. You shall kill him. Your hand will be first against him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hand of all the people. You're going to throw the first rock. This is your son you're going to kill. Now, if you are extremely sober right now, you should be. <laughs> if, this is, if this makes you go, mm, gulp, this tells us what, what sin is. By the way, how did we all wake up and suddenly we have millions of Muslims in America? How did that happen? We woke up one morning, millions of Muslims. Where did they come from? How did they get here? When they, when they arrive. Did you know that Obama has set aside millions of dollars, millions of dollars to bring Palestinians who want to kill every Jew they can see to come to America, to bring them into America? You and I are going to pay. Well, you're not going to pay for thousands of Palestinians who hate the Jews, who are Muslim worshipers, to come to America. Obama has just written, he didn't go to Congress, he just, just signed an order. Millions of dollars set aside. That's the president we have. Bring these people over. Give them free education. Just bring them on. Doesn't matter. They hate the Jews. They're, they're, they're pagan worshipers. Islam is paganism. Obama just signed an order. Doesn't have to go to Congress. Doesn't ask anybody. We're down to a dictatorship. You realize that? We're down to the, into the American dictatorship. He has signed unilaterally, order after order, without going to Congress, without getting a vote, is to do what he wants to do. And that has never happened at this, at this size. We've had some presidents try it on, on one or two issues here and there, but nothing, nothing, nothing like what's going on now. This is a different America. We got change all right. He brought us into change. He has no concern about Christianity. I would never believe that this man's a believer in Christ. 
He uses lip service, but I do not believe he's, he's, he's born again. He has no concept of Christianity. He has no concept of our history and our and our beginnings in this nation. And doesn't care. Whatever he doesn't know or none does know, it, it, it makes no impact upon him whatsoever. Just bring them on. Verse 10. So shall you stone him to death because he has sought to seduce you from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Then all Israel will hear... Oh, here it is. Here it is, folks. Look at, it, look at verse 11. Look, this is it. This is what I said a moment ago. But all Israel will hear and be afraid. If these verses are heavy on your soul this morning, you say, wow, I can't believe that God would do this. That's the point of the passage. <laughs> to be heavy on your soul. If you ask the question, how could God do this, then you don't understand theology. You don't understand your Bible. You don't understand the size of sin. The weight of sinfulness. The, the, the heaviness of, of rebellion against God. You don't understand it if you say, God, I can't believe God would do this. See, the good old American way is just, yeah, yeah. And again, we can't go out and stone. We can't do that. But we can at least say, from verse 11, I need to fear. I need to, I need to, I need to realize how, how heavy this is on the heart of God. On His heart. All that He's done for the Jewish people. Now watch this. Watch the parallel. All he's done for the Jewish people. For them to enter the land. Now watch this. To enter the land. It's like, you know what? Let's, let's this weekend, let's, let's go up to, the, uh, to, the, uh, up to the, the hillside where they're worshiping uh, the gods of Canaanites. Let's join in with them this weekend. Let's go have a, a party up there as they're, as they're wor wor worshiping the, the Astaroth, the, the phallic poles, the phallic poles that they put up. How could they do that, seeing all that God has done? How could Americans turn against God, turn against the Word of God, turn against Christ, our Savior, for all that He's done for Americans? All that He's done for this people. All of the peace and the, and the blessing that He's done for this nation. How could they turn against God? How could they say, we're going to tell our, in our school system that the kids can't even, they can't even bow their heads to pray by themselves to God at the lunch, in the lunch, in the lunch, uh, lunch room. And let's put the, the, the Gideon out on a corner, out on the street corner to pass out a Bible if a kid wants it. You know, eh, doesn't matter. For all that he's done for this nation. For all that he's done for this nation. Look at verse 11 then all Israel will hear and be afraid. Right on. Right on. And will never again do such a wicked thing among you. Now look, if you have to take your relatives out and stone them to death, talking about making some serious people, talking about really getting to the heart and soul of people, talking about really making somebody go whoop, gulp, talking about making some people say, we can't do that again. We can't go that route again. We can't blaspheme our God again by worshiping the, the gods of the Canaanites. We can't do that. Look at verse 12. 
if you hear in one of your cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to live in, anyone saying that some worthless men have gone out from among you and have seduced the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, whom you have not known, then you shall investigate and search. I like this. First of all, make sure it's true. Investigate and search. Search out and inquire thoroughly. Thoroughly. Make sure this is happening. Don't jump to conclusions. Make sure this is true. If it's true and the matter established that this abomination has been done among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it and all that's in it. It's cattle with the edge of the sword. People are responsible. The whole city will be accountable. The whole city will be accountable. Because they have allowed sin to be in their midst. You have these, you, everybody in this room knows what happened a few days ago, don't you? Where the judge in California says we cannot stop homosexual marriages. Of course, it's supposed to go to the, to the Supreme Court. You know what's going to happen when it gets to the Supreme Court. Because now we have, what, two or three members of the Supreme Court who are homosexuals? At least two? Can you imagine this is the same country that you were born and raised in? The judicial branch of the government with several homosexuals elected to high office and there was not a peep there wasn't a peep about this lady who was made a Supreme Court judge a few days ago. Not a peep. Nobody said anything. We haven't seen anything yet, folks. The door is open. The door's knocked off its hinges. We haven't seen anything yet. It's going to come. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. But notice in verse 14 and 15, Total responsibility of the whole. Responsibility of the whole. The whole city is responsible. Look, folks, I don't know how it works, but we're sitting here in this room this morning. We are somehow, to some degree, in some way, responsible for a homosexual to be put in to the, to the U.S. Supreme Court. We somehow... We're going tish, tish, tish. Isn't this bad? Tish, tish, tish. But somehow, in some way, small or large, everyone was in this room, or somehow, don't know how it works, we're responsible. Somehow, we didn't do something, or we did do something, where this has happened. And these verses tell us the whole, look at verse 15, you'll strike the inhabitants of the city. There's just a few in the city who are advocating uh, the false gods. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The whole city is responsible. The whole city should have stopped it. The whole city should have said something. Not allowed it to be. Look at the middle of verse 15. Utterly destroying it and all that is in it. Verse 16. Then you shall gather all its booty into the middle of its open square and burn the city and all its booty with fire as a whole burnt offering to the Lord your God. It shall be a ruin forever, that city. It shall never be rebuilt. Lord, Heavenly Father, how can you be so... <laughs> Whoa! How can God be so strong with this? How can He be so determined? This isn't grace. 
You bet it's not grace. It's judgment. This is grace. Well, it's grace if you say, if we do this to that city, it's going to affect other cities to look carefully what they're doing and what they're not doing. If, that's, if, that, if that is a result of, of this happening, then that's grace. It's going to prevent. It's going to stop. That's grace. I'm in the seventh grade. That's a little bad word on the, on the playground. Take to the principal's office. Kapow! 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 Guess what? There was no curse words on the playground for months after that. <laughs> and if you, any of you younger parents are against capital punishment, <laughs> no, carpal punishment of your children, <laughs> you're wrong. And you need to be worn out. I was, and I didn't even say dad gummit for, for, for months after that. <laughs> boy, that hurt. I think I wore some silk pants that day. Boy, the principal, pow, 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 three licks. So you bring judgment, and guess what? It brings grace. You realize that's what happened to Christ? Guess who was judged? Christ was judged. But He really wasn't the sinner. He was judged for me. Then guess what? Because He was judged carrying my sin, then grace came to me. And grace came to me. You take everybody's the stuff in their house. You take their beds out. Their, you take their kitchen utensils. You pile it in a pile. You burn it. You destroy it. You will not rebuild that city again. And everybody will wake up. Did this happen? I don't think it ever happened. I, I don't know of a case where, where this happened in the Old Testament. Where they, where they followed through what God told them. With what He told them. I think, I think they ignored this part of the law. Because this is kind of heavy. You know, this is this is mercy and grace, and we just love mercy and grace. Look at verse seventeen. And nothing from that which is put under the ban shall cling to your hand. The, the word ban is is a word, a term used of total destruction. Nothing from that which is put under the total destruction shall cling to your hand. You bring their beds out of their, of their house and set them on fire. Look, look up here. You don't hold on to their bed. Boy, it's a nice bed. Uh, we should destroy that bed. Let's keep, let's keep the bed. Let's keep the, the dresser drawers. And, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, let's just keep the dresser drawer and let's keep the bed. If that clings to your hand, then you're in trouble. Look, you're to let go of all their property and burn it. And the city is to be burned, never to be rebuilt again that the Lord may turn from His burning anger and show mercy to you. Ah, oh, there it comes. Mercy to you. If you do this, then mercy will come to you. Mercy will come to you. And have compassion on you. And make your increase. And make you increase just as He has sworn to your fathers. If you will listen to the voice of the Lord your God, keeping all His commandments which I have commanded you today, and do nothing which is right in the sight of the Lord your God. Oh, 
how heavy this is. How right it is if, if a people will listen to God and do what God says. I want you to flip over to chapter 14 and verse 3. Chapter 14, 3. Why, part of the reason, why have the Gentiles in Europe, in Europe for the last 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years, why were the Gentiles so heavy, one of the reasons, not the only reason, against the Jews who lived in their communities in Russia, Poland, and Germany, Holland, and England? Why were the people so hard on the Jews who lived among them? Hey, part of the reason, not the only reason. Not the only reason. A plague would strike a city or a country, let's say Germany. Plague, plague strikes strike Germany. And millions of people were dying, but the Jews were not dying. The Jews were not dying. So therefore, it must be the fault of the Jews, this plague. And they're doing something where they don't die, but all of us Gentiles are dying. And all of our Jewish neighbors are not dying. So it must be the Jews' fault. That was one of the reasons that they, one of the things that the, the Gentiles would argue against, uh, against the Jews. The Jews are causing the plagues because they don't die. It's the Gentiles who die. Well, here in chapter 14, starting in verse 3 through the end of the chapter, Moses gives the dietary laws. The dietary laws. And the Jews were trying to, and, and best they could, keep the dietary laws. And so guess what? The Jews weren't dying. They would clean their uh, clean their homes. It's not mentioned, that's not mentioned in this passage here. But uh, in the fall or in the spring during Passover, their homes were clean. They would take a, a, a feather, a feather and go around and get all the little dust particles out of their house. They would wash everything. They would wash, double wash their utensils. They, were, they would only eat certain foods, certain foods they would not eat. And guess what? The, the Jews were not dying, but the Gentiles were dying. By the way, how many in this room remember your grandmother or your mom uh, having a spring cleaning? Let's see your hands. Spring cleaning. Do you know that came from, from, Jew, from the Jews? It comes from the Jews. The Jews at Passover had a spring cleaning. Passover falls in the spring. And they would go around and, and, and take all their, their clothes out and wash the clothes and the utensils and take this, this feather and get all the crumbs of, of, the, of, the, of the dust, and the uh, breadcrumbs off the floor, which gave the house a cleaning. I had to, I had to take a baseball bat and, and, uh, and swat my uh, 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 blankets. Mother would take the blankets out, the pillows out. Put them on the clothesline. I can go there and say, "Squat, bang, bang, bang!" Swap the blankets and, and the, the mattresses. That comes from the Jews having a spring cleaning for Passover. So your grandmother or mother did a spring cleaning that comes from uh, from the Jews. Now that's not mentioned here uh, in this passage, but the dietary laws are mentioned here. You are to eat certain things and you're not to eat certain things. Starting at verse three. Uh, verse, look at verse 4. These are the animals which you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, uh, the ibex, the antelope, the mountain sheep, 
And any animal that divides the hoof and has the hoof split in two and chews the cud among the animals that you may eat. Then he talks about, uh, comes on down and talks about the animals that you're not to eat. Look at verse 9. These you may eat of all that are in the water. Anything that has fins and scales you may eat, but anything that does not have fins and scales you shall not eat. It's unclean for you. Generally bottom-dwelling uh, fish they were not to eat. A catfish they were, they were not to eat. Um, verse 11. You may eat any clean bird, but these are the ones which you shall not eat. Uh, the, uh, the eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, so forth. These are the ones you're not to eat. Now, I've set down some rules on these verses, and I'm not going to go through all these verses, because some of the words that are mentioned here, like the falcon, uh, even the word buzzard, we're not sure that they're talking about the same kind of animals we know about. It's very possible the Hebrew word is about animals that we can't fully identify with or birds that we cannot fully identify with. But I have written down the principles, the dietary principles that come from this passage. Now, first of all, let me say this, that these dietary laws were mainly in operation concerning the Jews when they were in the, in the wilderness and then when they went into the land also. But later on, by the time of Christ and by the time of the Apostle Paul, the Jews were more careful how they, how they prepared food. That's, when the, that's why when the law ended, when the law ended, some of these dietary laws were not in place any longer. In fact, they were not in place at all. Once they had uh, uh, become more uh, uh, acceptable, that is, they began to do things that were more, uh, what should I say, well, acceptable as, as a cultured people, then these dietary laws were not as important. But I have listed seven principles of what's coming out of these dietary verses here, these dietary laws. First of all, what was unclean? The scavenger birds. Scavenger birds were the birds that they were not to eat because scavenger birds would be eating a carrion, that is, a, a, a things that had died and uh, were, were, were rotting and so forth. They were not to eat birds that, uh, uh, certain animals and certain birds that would excrete or salivate diseases. Now, did the Jews know which birds uh, uh, salivated or uh, would excrete uh, germs? No, they did not, but God did. God knew which animals and birds they were to eat, which were, they were not to eat. Uh, some birds would nest near more unclean birds, so you're not to eat those, those birds. Those that carry diseases, the Jews didn't know about, but, but the Lord did, I already said that. Some of the animals were difficult to clean if you did not have proper water. They were difficult to clean, therefore you were not to eat those animals. And especially if they were in the desert, they did not have access to water as well as, uh, as they, would, they would later on. Uh, uh, they were not to eat any animal that had died of itself. If you're driving along the road, there's a dead whatever, you're not to eat that animal, okay? Because the germs are starting to work in that, in that dead animal. The pagan people, the pagans uh, could be sold, are you ready for this? The pagan people could be sold the unclean animals, but not the Jews. In other words, if, if I found a, something killed on the road, I could sell it to the pagans. I could sell it to the pagans. Where's that verse? I think it's verse 21. Look at verse, 20, verse uh, 21. You shall not anything that dies of itself, but you may give it to the stranger who is in your town. The foreigner. 
for you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and then you shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. That was a practice of the pagans. Why could they give something that had died of itself to a stranger who lives in their midst, but not to your own people? Why could they do that? Why could they do that? That's going to be mentioned again uh, over in... Um, uh, look at chapter 15. Chapter 15 concerning the Sabbath year. Uh, in chapter 15, now look up here, I need to explain this. Every seven years, the Jew was to say to someone who owed him some money, I discount your, your debt to me. You don't have to pay that money back. Every seven years, they were to say, you don't have to, you don't have to pay that money back. Except verse 3. Look at verse 3. From a stranger or a foreigner, you may exact what he owes you. But your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother, your Jewish brother. Now wait a minute. We have two verses that says you can sell carry-on to the local pagans who are in your midst. And if your brother, Jew, owes you some money, you can, you can write off his debt every seven years. You can write off his debt unless if he's a stranger, a Canaanite or a Philistine, then you don't have to write off his debt. I want to ask you a question. Why did God say the pagan who lives in your land, the pagan Canaanite, you don't have to write off his debt. And the pagan Canaanite, if you find a dead cat out on the street, you can sell it to him to eat. But not your brother. Boy, oh boy, Lord, that how can you do that? That sounds prejudicial to me. Well, the answer to that is, our time is gone. I'm going to have to give that to you next week. I'll tell you, okay? I'll tell you next week why, why the pagan, you could make him pay the debt he owes and you could give him the dead cat that's laying out on the street. Why could they do that to the stranger? Let's stop right here. We'll pick that up next week. Father, thank you for these incredible laws and directives which spared the Jewish people. Sometimes they're hard for us to understand, but you knew what you were doing with them. And there are lessons here for us to listen carefully to you when you speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.